Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay. Uh, Let's start by reading from this amazing word, the Bible. I'm going to read a passage from Paul's letter, Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, and reading from verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for doctrine, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray, Father. Father, thank you that uh, your word speaks right into our lives, right into our situation, and right into the present moment. Even as we read these words, we are conscious that they speak right into our time and into our place. So, Father, we pray that as we consider your word together, we might become effective servants of yours, reading, learning, digesting, understanding and proclaiming your word, that we might have an impact on our society as the writer of these words had on his in his day. For Jesus' sake. Amen. 
Well, this is an exciting thing you're doing, this, um, uh, this Biblica reading program. Sounds great. Uh, slightly depressing thought is that uh, research seems to indicate that most Christians don't read their Bibles regularly, don't read our Bibles regularly. That's a pretty fundamental problem to have. If this really is God's word, if it really is the truth, and it really is relevant, it's hard to understand why we're not reading it more. And I speak to my own heart as well as to yours when I say this. So let's hope this new approach will give us some freshness in our approach to Scripture, that we might grapple with this Word of God and that we might learn to apply it. Very appropriately then, our theme for this morning is the relevance of the Bible to today's society. The gospel message doesn't change. It shouldn't be watered down or compromised. We must present a Bible that it remains relevant to people today because it speaks to the issues of today. So let's have a look in more detail at these verses that we read. First of all, focusing on those very well-known verses, 2 Timothy 3.16 And 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's reminding Timothy, his son in the faith, of the central importance of scripture. But what does he mean by scripture when he writes this? Because the New Testament, of course, hadn't been brought together into the canon that we know today. He was busy writing it. This is it. He's writing it. So he can't be referring to that, surely. No, principally, of course, he's referring to the scriptures of the Old Testament. So is it reasonable, then, for us to extend this statement to the whole Bible? Can we say that all scripture, including the New Testament, is embraced by this statement? Well, it's interesting that uh, Peter says something relevant about this in another 3.16, 2 Peter 3.16. We're referring to Paul's writings. Peter says this. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of them, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain th- some things that are hard to understand. He's right there, isn't he, Vigam? You've got to wrestle sometimes to understand what Paul is on about. Peter's saying, hey, I'm only a fisherman. You know, take it easy, Paul. You went to university. I didn't. But he goes on to say, these things that are hard to understand, ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures. So for Peter, already the writings of Paul had been recognized as being authoritative scripture, of carrying the anointing that the word of God carries. Uh, We could go on a long time about this, but we must press on. Let's just take it as given that the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, is the inspired word of God, God breathed. That means we're not free to pick bits we like, or to remove the bits that we don't like. God is the author, and the scripture carries his authority. 
If you sit in judgment on his word according to your own taste uh, or bias, then you're simply replacing the authority of scripture with your own authority. In which case, why bother with a scripture at all? Just start with nothing or yourself and your ideas and work out from there. Anything less than accepting the full authority of scripture is to reject the full authority of scripture. Mankind already tried this once in the Garden of Eden. You might recall it's in Genesis chapter 3 when God told them what to do and they had a better idea. It didn't work out well. It didn't work out well then and it doesn't work out well now when we will not listen to what God is saying to us. I sometimes come across Christians who tell me that they don't believe that the whole Bible is true, but that it contains truth. That sounds rather nice, doesn't it? Rather rather sophisticated. Um, I suppose they mean rather in the same way that an egg box contains eggs. There are the eggs and there's the stuff in between them uh, to stop them from bashing into each other. So what would it be then that the truth in the Bible's got packed in between us Uh, so that it contains truth, I wonder. Well, it can't be truth, because then it would be true, of course, and then it wouldn't be packing. So it must be something that isn't true. Now then, let's think of something that isn't true. Would that be a lie, possibly? So what they're saying is the Bible contains truth packed in lies. God is the God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. It's inconceivable that this God could express himself through the medium of untruth. It is inconceivable. God is the God of truth. He is the source of all truth. It is unthinkable that he could package his truth in lies. So the word of God is the truth, but secondly, God word, because it's true, God's word acts as a guide for our lives. Going back to uh, that verse in uh, Timothy again, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and therefore is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So let's have a look at this in more detail The scripture is useful. It's a slightly weak word, that. The Greek word's a little bit stronger than that. Uh, The AV translates it as profitable. I like that. Um, It means it leaves you better off than you were before. So here's something that should inspire us every time we pick up our Bible to read it. When we put it down, we'll be better off than we were when we picked it up. Profitable. Profitable. We've got something from it. And then we've got these four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching is about doctrine. It's about truth. It's about getting our thinking straight. It's about looking at things from the right point of view. I'm a keen advocate of the necessity of getting a clear Christian worldview. Christian doctrine does not exist in a 
compartment by itself. It doesn't belong into some section called religious things that has nothing to do with the rest of life. The Christian worldview impacts every area of society. Every area of society. Ever since the Enlightenment, we've been under pressure. The Christian church has been under pressure to give up some territory to science, to other secular areas of thought. And what's our strategy been? We've said, take it, just leave us the religious bits. Doesn't work. The result is where we've got to today, and I'll say more about that shortly. The Christian worldview affects everything. Everything that we think we believe, everything we teach, and everything we do. Because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In his book, How Should We Then Live, written in 1976, that's about 40 years ago, Francis Schaeffer describes the dangers he sees for society as the Christian worldview declines. He sees biblical morality being replaced by a spurious authoritarian ethic which originates with the ruling elite. Well, no. British values originates with the ruling elite and threatens traditional biblical morality. This is what Schaefer says, and if you can get a hold of the book, read the last chapter, because it is absolutely, perfectly describes the situation we're in today, and it was written 40 years ago. He says this, If we as Christians do not speak out as authoritarian governments grow from within or come from outside, eventually we or our children will be the enemy of society and the state. No truly authoritarian government can tolerate those who have a real absolute by which to judge its arbitrary absolutes and to speak out and act upon that absolute. Right. If you want an up-to-date example of this, it's happening down the road in Sunderland at Grindon Hall Christian School where there's a direct collision between the Christian absolute and the authoritarian, arbitrary, absolute idea of right and wrong. I find it hard to believe it's actually happening. And even though it's predictable, it's hard to believe it's come to that point. Uh, When I got the email from the Christian Institute, I I emailed Colin Hart back and said, I'm praying, and I'm praying that we can do something about this. And he gave me... a short email in response, and he said, I can't believe what I'm reading. Well, we have to understand that we've got here because we've surrendered our right to speak with authority on moral issues. And that's what's happened, and we've now got a conflict between two alternative moralities. Very strange, this authoritarian ethic. It seems to have a lot of phobias in it. In fact, I think I've coined the term phobiaistic 
because it seems to be that that's the only sin that's left, is to be afraid of somebody or to, or to speak against something. Suddenly you've got a phobia. That's a, a phobia is an irrational fear. Um, I don't think I have any rash, irrational fears. I have a few rational ones, I think. So let's pray. Let's pray. Do you know what I think? I don't do this very often, but I think we should pray now for that situation in Grindon. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are shocked. We are appalled at what has happened at Grindon. And as your people, we want to take our stand against that darkness and proclaim your righteousness and your truth. Father, we pray for Chris Gray and the teachers in that school. We pray for the parents. We pray for wisdom as the Christian Institute grapples with the issues that are involved. And above all, Father, we pray for those who were those inspectors, those people in Ofsted who are so confused about what constitutes right and wrong. Father, would you let your light shine into that darkness and rebuke Satan and all his forces. We ask this in Jesus' name and on his authority. Amen. So, what do we do? Oh, I had this problem last time. Take the top off the bottles for the speakers, would you? Hmm. Right. What do we do when we find that the truth is not being obeyed? Well, that's where the rebuking word comes in. That's the next thing. The word of God is useful for rebuking. It means exactly what it says. It means we are to confront error with truth, to challenge wrong thinking with right thinking. But we cannot do this if we don't know the truth ourselves so that's why we need to read the word and to let it become part of us i love what peter says 1 peter 3:15 and 16 in your heart set apart christ as lord that's the first step by the way then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have you have to be ready to take on board their wrong thinking and to deal with it and straighten it out. He goes on to say, do it with gentleness and respect. We're not going around looking for fights or arguments, but we do have to correct wrong thinking. The reason for the hope that we have, the word Paul uses, Peter uses there, is apologia. It's a legal expression. It's the thing the lawyer prepares before he goes into court. He doesn't just wander into the courtroom and say the first thing that comes into his head. Not clever. It's prepared. It's thought through. It's considered. And that's what the apologia is. And that's what we need to do. As we study the scriptures, we need to think about the arguments they give us that we can use to confront wrong thinking as we encounter it. There's lots of things we could say about how to present uh, the Christian apologetic argument. But the main thing is we realize we need to do it 
And we need to be prepared to do it, to give that reason for our hope. So there's rebuking. And then, of course, following that, there's correcting. That's a kind of, the word has the idea of, of, of finding something that's fallen over and putting it back upright. Doesn't that speak into right into today? Truth has fallen in the streets. We need to put it back upright. The scripture is the basis of our authority to help others back onto the right path. And if we've lost our confidence in the authority of scripture, we lose our ability to say, you shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. You should be doing this because the scripture says that's righteousness. Um, One of my heroes in the Old Testament is Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. He goes back to Jerusalem and what does he find? The walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Seems to me that's a vivid picture of a church that's lost the sense of where is the inside and where is the outside. And a church where the gates are burned and the church has no ability to discipline, no ability to say that's wrong and that's right. The walls need to be rebuilt. And that gives us a mandate to help others. Paul says, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you are, who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. There's no idea of a spiritual powerhouse here. But it does tell us that the scripture gives us authority to go to someone and say, not sure that this is right. There's a better way. There's a right way to walk. And then there's instruction in righteousness. Um, the word here, uh, instruction, is paideo. Now, the Greeks had um, a kind of basic curriculum, I suppose we would call it key stage three. Greek key stage three was the paideia. It's what every Greek child was taught. And there's a Christian paideia. It's the basic teaching that every Christian child and every Christian adult needs to know. Have we studied the basics? Hebrews 12 verse 10 says, Our fathers disciplined us. The word there is paideo. Taught us with discipline for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. Good to be part of God's paideo. Put your hand in the hand of the Heavenly Father. Be his child and let him teach you the basics of what is right and what is wrong and how to walk with confidence in his world and speak out for him. Like little children, we're to seek the Father's paideo, the milk of the word that we might grow thereby. Finally then, the church has a great commission. You remember, Jesus came to the disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Jesus commanded us to make disciples, to go and make disciples. And because the authority of Jesus is absolute, universal, and ultimate, then the command he gives is absolute, universal, and ultimate. A couple of things very quickly before we close. The command is to go. I've always been very struck by the words that Keith Green wrote. Jesus commands us to go. The exception should be when we stay. No wonder we're moving so slow when God's people refuse to obey. Has Jesus told you to go? Has he told me to go? What does that mean for us? Quite often it means at least getting out of our comfort zone and getting into situations that perhaps we wouldn't immediately choose. For others it might mean going to the other side of the world. Whatever it is, have we said to him, here am I, send me. Secondly, the command is to make disciples of all nations, all people groups. But what is a disciple? Well, we read from this passage that, first of all, it's the person who's been baptized into all the good that Jesus has won for them. But a disciple is also someone who obeys everything that Jesus commands. This is not just about believing. It's about obeying. Jesus said, the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Let's not stop with the reading. But let's go to the going and the doing. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for uh, your people gathered here. Thank you for their desire to learn more about you. Help us all together, Father, to be your disciples in your world, proclaiming your truth so that men and women might come and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.